All right, guys. Let's uh, gather back up. And do some of these letter. Do some of these letters. Someone want to get the door for us? All right. So I've got this already on your your uh, handout. But here's the letters order in the Bible. So you've got. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, whoop, hang on. So yeah, so Romans, uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then uh, possibility of, we'll talk about Hebrews uh, in the last class, uh, because that's one of those ones that... Some people think he wrote them. Some people think he didn't write them. So, so that's the way they are chronologically in the Bible. Or that's the way they are in the Bible. By date, and I believe these are also on there as well. So Thessalonians is the earliest. Then you've got Galatians and then Corinthians. Uh, the Romans in 57, 58. So we see Paul's letters were written, and I mentioned this in the first class, some of these letters were written before the uh, Gospels too. Especially these first four letters, or, yeah, five letters. And then you've got uh, letters to the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those are known as captivity letters. They were written during his two-year captivity in Rome. So Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Between 60 and 62 A.D. I'm just going to give you a wink, the wink, wink. Remember that for next week's quiz. I'm not sure I got it. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a question on there. Chronological. So those Le- Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are all during the two-year oh, well, captivity in Rome. Okay. And then uh, you got the letters to Timothy in 
AD 65. And then Titus and maybe Hebrews 63 to 66. But my, my wink to you is remember the captivity question. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there. So he was free for a while. Well, they let him. They let him free. It was like a house, or kind of like someone explained it to me one time, like a house arrest. Like you could go, but you were still under arrest. They probably had someone watching him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're called. They're called. They're called low guys on the on the Roman pole. Oh, the Centurions. That's what, that was the tracking monitor back then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's okay. So those are the letters by date. Let's see whatever we can get through. Yes, sir. Deborah, what's going to repeat the dates? Somebody on them. Can they see this? Oh. The, oh. Okay. No sound until Titus. Oh, I've got, yeah, sorry. I forget, I shut it off, so. I shut it off so they don't have to, they don't listen to me eating or, you know, during the break. Did they, Omar, did they get those? Yes, they should have it in their PowerPoint. Okay. And then there is... Okay. All right, so... These essentially, the only, this is the last PowerPoint slide I have for you because all of these have the same general information on them. Like, so we're going to go through the length, the time frame, the theme, the summary, and the theology. So let's go, and whatever I don't get through, I can just send you guys in a, in a handout. Um, all right, so let's talk about Romans. Romans is written, so it's, it's written to the Romans, but he writes it from Corinth. You guys see that in your handout? Okay. So it's 16, chapter, 16 chapters in total length. These, these chapters were not included in the original draft, is that right? This is, it was later, later added by the church. Yeah, it's it's like uh, you guys ever read like an encyclical? The way uh, that's a that's a letter from one of the popes, like an encyclical that's you know JP two wrote them, Benedict Francis written. They're long, an encyclical is a long letter. It's written in a like a letter format. We it, it it comes to us in a book format, 
but he writes it as like a, a letter. That's the way these were written as well. We've separated them into chapters and verses. Okay? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, because you didn't know he didn't do chapter one, you know. Intri- intri- yeah, you know, he didn't do all that stuff. They, they didn't do it. They were, these were just letters, and then later on the church added the chapters and the verses. So it was written from Corinth in Rome. The theme focuses on justification. That's the primary theme. Remember, we, we, just, we just talked about that. That's one of those main themes. Where you get, you know, Jews and Gentiles, salvation is for all through Jesus Christ. This is an important doctrinal treatise, treatise for, uh, for Paul. Remember, he hasn't been there yet. But he knows some people in Rome... St. Peter, in his second letter, makes a reference that some of Paul's writings are obscure. This is the letter that he's talking about. This is also where Martin Luther gets the idea of sola fide, of faith alone. It also comes from Romans. And then the main point of this whole letter the whole main point is that no matter who no matter who he is a man cannot save, or you know, a human being cannot save themselves. That it really has to, it, it, the initiative has to be taken by God. That uh, that he cannot be acceptable to God or a friend of God by his own efforts. That it really is God's initiative that God saves us. Now, again, I'll, I'll be very blunt with you guys. I struggled through my understanding of Romans too. It was the hardest thing. It was out of all of Paul's letters, it's the one I don't understand completely myself. I have a hard time understanding it. There's times where I would love to take a whole class. And again, you go ask those priests across the room when they were in seminary, they probably took individual classes on some of these letters because that's how that's how full of information feel theolo- how much. Theology is in this as well. I mean, my pastors, they wrote, well, my, my pastor, Father Chris, he's, he's got a master's in theology and a master's in divinity. He said, I think when he was in grad school, he took, what's that say? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, they, uh, 
you know, he's like, it took whole class, whole weeks and weeks of class on Romans because there's just so much. We're going through it in a matter of minutes. Um, okay. All right, so the first letter to Corinthians, this one's also 16 chapters in length. It's written from Ephesus. So you see how he's, he's one place and he's writing a letter to another place. He's in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. The theme of his letter is that he receives news that there's dissent and division in the church. And what he calls for is unity in the church. He also answers some very important moral and doctrinal questions. That Paul received news uh, that it was dissent and division in the church, and he calls for unity in the church. And that there were also some important moral and doctrinal questions answered. So the summary of this letter is it's a friendly letter explaining to them what they have accepted as Christians. What have they embraced as a Christian people? Does anyone remember what I said last week about Corinth? Las Vegas on the water. Okay. They're understanding, so, you know, they're baptized, they come into the faith, but now there's division. They're arguing amongst one another. You know, they're living very, they're, 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 some of them are probably still living very immoral lives. Remember I said, what was it, uh, Aphrodite, so she, I think she's the Greek. Um, the goddess of love, yeah. Their understanding of love was very distorted, very much about getting what you want. Um, so that's these doctrine. That's the, that's where Paul. That whole treatise on love is a moral teaching of what love truly is. You know, it's not boastful. You know, pride, all of that, all of that, from a clashing symbol, yeah. all that stuff. That that's all comes from one Corinthians. That all comes from that love on that treatise on love. And he shows the difference in specifically in that in that chapter and other chapters, the difference between the pagan life and the Christian life. So there's a difference. This was what your old life looked like. This is what when you embrace Christ, this is what your new life should look like, your Christian life should look like.
the the, the theology that we see in in one Corinthians is that by faith and baptism the Christian is liberated from all those pagan superstitions so remember you got a lot of Greek a lot of Greeks believing in superstitious things particularly all of these different gods and for the Jews that live within Corinth there's this idea of the Jewish legalism still following the Mosaic law you know baptism frees you from all of that that's why as Catholics today you know superstitious stuff we should avoid it you know, you know, like, uh, you know, everyone get, you know, it's like everyone's like, oh, well, it's not a, you know, it's like astrology, all this, you know, with the with the signs and all this stuff, and uh, carrying, you know, rabbit's feet, and my dad, you know, growing from the Italian heritage, my father uh, had it when he was a boy, the horn that used to used to wear the horn around the neck. The, my uh, the priest who baptized me, my I don't know why my father kept it. I should mold it down and turn it, turn it in for money because I think we still have it. But it's like, it's it's uh, it's the superstition that the evil spirits stay away from you. Okay. The priest that baptized me said to my father, "You better take that nonsense off. See, the only thing you need is a crucifix around your neck. That'll keep everything away." So that's the stuff that you know these superstitious practices, uh, idolatry stuff. Like, I mean. We talk, uh, we talk about all of this. For us, it, it reminds us that as Christians, you know, oh, like we, and, and it's something that we always say too, but it's, it's funny. Someone will say, well, good luck. Like, I don't, I don't say to you, good luck on next week's quiz. I'll say, God's will be done, okay? Or trust in God's will, okay? Or God's mercy. I'm not going to tell you good luck because good luck is what pagans say. Okay, we don't, we don't, we're never really, so, we don't, okay? Superstitious stuff. Um, again, really, the Christian is now a member of the body and temple of the Holy Spirit. He's not caught up with these superstitious nonsense. It's all about Christ. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor, not being caught up with in legalism of Jewish legalism or being caught up in the idea that I need all these superstitious practices. And again, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians talks about the importance of the body of Christ. That's what, you know, Christ is the head and we are the body and we are the members. And, you know, the left, if just because you're not an arm doesn't mean you're not part of the body. Just because you're not a left, an eye doesn't mean you're part of the body. All of that. You know, he uses that analogy that people, they'd understand. And then chapter 15 also talks about the church's teaching on the resurrection of the body. So that's some of those themes that we were talking about earlier. We see those themes very clearly. Second Corinthians is now 13 chapters. 
It's a little shorter than the first letter. He writes it from essentially northern Greece, or like what we would call Macedonia, about six months after the first letter. The theme of it is Paul defending his own ministry and that Christ chose him. And there's a reason why. The reason why it's his own defense because Jewish Christians arrive in Corinth and they don't like Paul, and they kind of, they, they essentially attack him. But it's not just on what he said, they also attack his appearance as well. It was believed Paul was kind of short, and kind of losing his hair. So they personally attacked him and kind of... Bully. Huh? Bully. Yeah. <laughs> so in this letter, he's very impassioned, very personal. Something we don't think of St. Paul, sarcastic. There's sarcasm in this letter towards these individuals. And very hard hitting because he kind of, you know, he defend, he's essentially defending himself, saying, you know, that he's just like the 12 apostles, he's equal to them. This, in, in this letter, the theology in this letter really reveals his mind and his heart like no other letter has done or did. So he's charitable, but he's also hard-hitting. If you're going to attack me, I'm going to defend myself. You know, he has strong emotions. He has strong opinions. It's if you're going to you're going to attack me, I'm going to I'm going to defend myself. And then we see some really basic Catholic truths in uh, 2 Corinthians. We see the understanding of the Blessed Trinity, the mystery of the Blessed Trinity. You know, what's the Holy Spirit's role in the life of a Christian?
we see that Christ is the Redeemer of all mankind. And we see that the New Testament will replace the Old Testament. So like even if you, you look at your like chapter 10, it says, you know, the, the headers that our scriptures give us. Paul, defend, Paul defends his ministry. Paul and the false apostles. Paul's suffering as an apostle. You know, at the end, he talks about, he has, there's the concern for the Corinthian church. Again, if you've never read these, you know, it's, it's, it would be, if this was an undergrad class at, you know, Franciscan or the Augustine Institute, it'd be, it'd be uh, well, Augustine's, I guess, just masters, but, you know, I'd have you reading these. And some, if we we're in a longer class, like a 15-week class, you'd read all the chapters, summarize them, and that's for you to have a understanding, a better understanding. Since we're doing this in five weeks, it's kind of hard to have you read all of this. But you know, take a time. Maybe maybe this is maybe this is one of your things you do during Lent. Okay, Lent's coming up, which I definitely need. But then probably about three weeks three weeks into Lent, I wish it wasn't Lent. So so uh, that's just. One of my coworkers said that to me the other day. She was so excited for Lent. And she goes, in about three weeks in, I'll be like, oh, when's Lent, when's Lent going to be over? So, um, but yeah, maybe that's something you do during Lent. Read a chapter a night. Read a chapter a day uh, of all these new, different New Testament. Or maybe read different books. You know, try to get through a book a week or something. So, it's just an idea to do because it's, there, it's, there's so much in, in this. It's just very hard to get to all in... Um, all in one, uh, in a five-week class. All right, Galatians. The Galatians. Shorter chapter, six chapters. So this is written to Galatia, the city of Galatia, the church of Galatia, while staying in Ephesus. So six chapters while staying in Ephesus. So to be a Christian, it's necessary to have faith in Jesus Christ as part of the theme. To be a Christian, it's necessary to have faith in Jesus Christ. Bless you. He talks about the law of Moses, circumcision, the dietary laws. All that stuff is not needed. All those Old Testament burdens have been... Christ has freed us from that. He also focuses on that his, his apostleship is equal to the 12 apostles because he was chosen by Christ himself.
Now, he's really close with the, with the Galatian church. And he gets upset with them when, they, when he finds out that they fall into false teachings. And that they fall into certain sins. That's a righteous anger. It's like a controlled anger. This is where he calls them, in some translations, you stupid Galatians. Okay? That's, I mean, he's close to them. He knows this church really well. It's like a, frater- it's a controlled, um, righteous anger that's even what we would call like fraternal correction. Those of you that are, that are married, it's like, you know, we deal with fraternal correction on a daily basis. We do it to our spouses and our spouses do it to us. Tough love. Tough love, yeah. Yeah. You don't ever, and the, pro, the problem is you don't want to hear it. Okay? I'm married for almost six months. Last night we were talking, I'm like, I don't want to hear this right now. He's like, but you got to hear it. I'm like, uh, oh, Okay. So, you know, it's one of the, but that's why he, that's why he gets upset with them because he believes he knows them and he has a good relationship with them. So when they fall into these sins, he gets mad. Um, The two, the big things that the theology that we see in Galatians are faith and baptism, faith and baptism in Christ. Faith and baptism. That stuff, and all those Old Testament requirements, you don't need them anymore. Christ has freed us from all of that stuff. And he also talks about Christian freedom too. Like the idea that Christian freedom comes from salvation in Christ. And when we're, when we're given this freedom, we're, to, we're there to serve one another, not do whatever the heck we want to do. You know, that's something that even in our own day and age, today, freedom gets a very distorted understanding. You know, if you're, you're free to, well, you're you know, free to do whatever you want. Well, doing whatever you want without any boundaries or rules of authority is anarchy, not really freedom. I mean, it's just like... We're free to do, you know, freedom even has its boundaries as well. Fulton Sheen has a great explanation in one of his books on freedom. I forget which book it is. It's a fantastic explanation of the importance of freedom. What does freedom actually look like? Talks about like drawing images, like you're free to draw, like a, you're free to draw a giraffe with a long neck because that's the nature of the giraffe. But you can't you're not free to draw a giraffe with a short head because that's not the, that's not the nature of the animal. He yeah, it's, it's a fantastic explanation of freedom. I think it might be the last seven words of Jesus and Mary that he writes, but and he's another good writer if you've never read anything by Fulton Sheen. All right, Ephesians Ephesians, as my father used to call it, is the elbow re- is the elbow reading. When we get to Ephesians five, the whole thing about men and women, 
obeying your wives and all that stuff and obeying your husbands. My father used to call it the elbow. My, my wife used to elbow him. Or my, my, not my wife. My mother would elbow my father. He called it like the elbow reading. So Ephesians, uh, it's written as a circulation letter to all the Asian churches. It's six chapters in length. One of my favorite, one of my favorite letters of Paul. And it comes to us written, so it comes to us, it's written to the Ephesians, but it was a, a letter that was circulated in the early churches. The theme is that Jesus Christ is God and possesses the fullness of all reality. Jesus Christ is God and possesses the fullness of all reality. We're united to Christ. We're one in Christ. That's right in chapter 2. Starts at verse 11. The idea of being one in Christ. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is God, called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So this idea that we now, now that we have faith in Christ, baptized, we are now united to Christ. He's the head and we are the members. The summary, he focuses on family, husbands, wives, and children. Focuses on the family, husbands, wives, and children. And then we also see a spiritual, com uh, spiritual combat with the devil. That's in Ephesians 6, which is one of the whole armor of God. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth around your waist and having put on the bread, breastplate, breastplate of righteousness and then having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. Besides all these things, taking on the shield of faith in which you quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you get this idea that we're combating. It's not just, uh, it's, it's, we're fighting a spiritual battle. And depicting this, people at the time would have understood this because the Romans would have been very much present uh, in, their, uh, in their everyday life. So figuring, seeing this, this idea of the helmet and the soldier and the sword, the sword and the shield. That's why St. Paul is usually um, 
depicted in statues holding a sword and having a shield when it, it goes to this that the that the, uh, the 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 word of god is your your sword we used to do it when i was in, when i used to do high school theology we used to do sword drills which was something i got from my friends that were once protestant that were now catholic you hold up your bible Hold up your Bible like a sword, like a like a, getting ready to take on a sword, okay, and fight someone. I would I would yell out a scripture verse, and they would have to find it. So it was just ways for them to learn their Bible faster and quicker. You pick those Old Testament readings from like Song of Solomon, or some of those ones that like uh, some of those Old Testament readings about like David cutting off the head of Goliath. The kids are like, "This is in the Bible." I'm like, "Heck yeah, it's in the Bible." So yeah. That was the way we used this. Uh, sword drills comes from Ephesians. Um, the theology focuses on the mystery that has been hidden in God and then re- revealed through Jesus Christ. It's a very inspiring and uplifting letter. And again, as I said, my father used to call it the elbow, the elbow reading. And Ephesians 5 is beautiful, the idea of the Christian household. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So he says to these men, protect your wives as Christ protects the church. As he dies for the church, that's what you do for your wives. You know, a lot of people read the first couple of verses and they stop. They don't read the, they don't read the, this is what, as men, this is what we are called to do. We're called to protect our, our, our wives and our families. All right, Philippians. This is four chapters. This is a captivity letter. This is one of the captivity letters. So this is written from Ephesus on his second missionary journey. So this is not what, so this is a captivity letter means that he was probably in prison at the time. He was in chains or in prison when he wrote this letter. So he's writing this letter. You know, he's probably his his secretary is there taking the notes. Yeah, maybe. The theme is to preserve in true faith which they received from him to preserve 
preserve in true faith which they received from him. This is where we get the idea that pray constantly, where Paul says pray constantly in the joy of Christ. Be humble and obedient. Yes, sir. Yeah, persevere. I'm sorry. Did I say preserve? I'm sorry. Yeah, persevere. Thank you. Yeah. To persevere in true faith, which they received from him. And so pray constantly. You ever heard? This is when we talk about praying constantly. He tells them to be models of charity and to avoid those who distort the gospel. So this idea of praying constantly in the Eastern tradition of the church, they pray what's known as the Jesus prayer. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a tradition within the Eastern, the Eastern church that it's something that you can pray all day long, no matter where you're at. You pray it, it's like that idea of you're unpraying, you're constantly praying, un, praying unceasingly. You could be at your work in a, in a secular, you know, in a job, in an office, in a, in a fact, in a plant, wherever you're at. You'd be walking around, you could be going from place to place in your, in your current position. This is, I'm talking about you guys. Um, in your current position, and you could be saying this to yourself. And, you know, and it's that, it's that idea that, so it's, it's, it's you, you Google, if you Google it, you'll find it too. But it's, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When I lock up the church at night uh, and I walk around our buildings to make sure the door is locked, so that's sometimes I'll pray it. I can get through that prayer probably 50 times by the time I walk around the building because it's so short. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy. So it's a prayer. It's a quick prayer that we can pray. You can pray at any time, wherever, wherever you're at. Yes, Mark? Yeah, it's something too, though, that there, there's, a, it's, 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 there's a resurgence of this. Mm-hmm. The so there's other phrases that can be Right. Right. So that's what Paul's talking about, where you where where you do stuff like that, and you had that tradition where you're praying constantly. You can offer up your work that you do during your day as prayer as well. So if you remember to start the day with prayer, I offer up all that I do, all my joys and sufferings of this day, 
you know, here at my office or here at work. You know, whatever you're doing, you're working for the church, there's plenty of joys and sufferings when you work for the church. Um, yeah, so all of that stuff, that's where Paul, that's where we get this idea of, uh, of uh, the idea of pray, praying constantly. Um, the summary of Philippians is that he really loved, he really loved the Philippian people and they loved him. Uh, he says that he, he loves how they make progress in their spiritual growth in Christ, their spiritual progress. And again, like he says to a lot of these letters, avoid false teachings. And then he would send Timothy to assist them too. He talks about Timothy coming in chapter 2. He says in verse 2 of chapter 3, look out for the dogs, look out for the evil workers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So there's people that would come, these false teachings, these false teachers that would, would try to persecute them. And again, it's a joyful letter, it's a hopeful letter. No need for the law of Moses. And then the beauty that in Philippians 2, and it's in the Office of Readings and the, uh, the uh, Liturgy of the Hours, is what's known as a Christological hymn. And that's in, verse, uh, that's in chapter 2. And you've all heard it. You've probably heard it at Mass. Uh, who was through in the form of God did not contend... Equal, did not count equality with God as being as a, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and be, he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So that's that. That's part of the this Christological hymn that we talk, that we see um, in Philippians two, where where Paul is is explaining to them what Christ did for us that. Um, that he humbles himself, becomes one of us, um, and then he also um, gave himself up for us. All right, Colossians is four chapters. It's another one of the captivity letters. This one was written, this is a captivity letter that was written when he was in Rome.
Colossians, the city, the city where the Colossians exist is about a hundred uh, miles east of Ephesus. So again, he finds this. He, now he's in Rome, and the letter is eventually brought to the church, to the people of uh, of um, of the Colossians. It's very similar to what we've already seen. Remain faithful to the traditional faith that has been given to them. So what I taught you, remain true to that, to that teaching. Avoid false teaching and false philosophies, pagan or Jewish. Don't fall into these traps. So what we also start to see creeping into the church is these Gnostic teachings, these historic um, uh, and secret, like these groups, these philosophers that thought they had secret knowledge. And if you become a Gnostic, and you have this, you, you'll understand this secret knowledge that we all have. Um, you know, Gnosticism became an early church heresy. And a lot of the early, some of the, uh, you know, so we see it here in, in Paul, but we also see some of the early church fathers also combating it as well. It were these groups that believed they had a, kind of a divine knowledge, a secret knowledge, and if you joined our, this group, you were given this divine knowledge. A lot of the early heresies in the church kind of come out of this form of this Gnosticism, um, these, these heresies. And then I mentioned it, I think I mentioned it last week, Tertullian and Origen, who are early church fathers that we still quote, and Benedict quotes them a lot, Pope Benedict XVI quotes them a lot, and his, and his, they're still considered early church fathers, but they're not saints, because they got caught up in these Gnostic religions later in life. I have to, I have to wait till the end. So, um, so... Yeah, so they get caught up in these in these Gnostic beliefs later in life. That's why they're they're probably good chance they're not they're not saints because they they died in these 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 uh, believing in these Gnostic thoughts. Okay, so again, Gnosticism it goes on in the in the church for for quite a few centuries. Those gospels, those false gospels uh, that are out there. Like in the Gospel of uh, Thomas, I think Judas and all those, those are considered Gnostic Gospels. They were written centuries in, or, yeah, a few centuries after the time of Christ. Um, and then Paul, in the theology here, we, saw, we see Paul penetrate, penetrates to the heart of the Christian faith by explaining who Jesus Christ is.
And then through faith and baptism, one comes to know Christ more completely. So we'll go for we'll go for about another. I'll let you out a little earlier, but we'll uh, we'll go for a few more minutes. So before we continue, any questions? So there was one in the mark. Yeah. And the people that follow him are even further off the beat path. And there's a particular one named Cynthia Bourgeau that is way, way, she actually celebrates the Gospel of Thomas. And the reason I bring this up in relation to, to Paul is that, that there's a, a subtle critique of Paul. Richard Rohr will bring it up, Cynthia Bourgeau, but will kind of give this idea that Paul took. Christianity off in a wrong direction, that somehow the original message of Jesus got distorted by Paul in ways that were damaging forever to Christianity. And, that, and it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's amazing that, that, you know, he's not allowed to speak in the diocese. He can't speak at any of our churches here. Yeah. Yeah, he's a Franciscan uh, priest, and he's based out of New Mexico. Uh, yeah, you get you get people even today that... that um, that are like him, and uh, yeah, we have a couple of parishioners that wanted us to do stuff on him, and I was like, no. What's his name? Uh, Richard Rohr. Um, so yeah, he's yeah. You, so you still, I mean, we're not. None of this stuff is new to us. We're still dealing with false teachings, and um, there was a there was a uh, gosh, I can't think of his name. He's been not, he passed away a few years ago. He was based out of Notre Dame. And it's a whole book called Catholicism. It's this massive series. It's anything but Catholicism. Uh, it is just, I've, so many people had it in their libraries for so long, and it's just literally, I mean, the, his understanding on the scriptures, on salvation, was very different on what the catechism teaches. So, yeah, a lot of, so, yeah, with, even within the church, I mean, a lot of these false teachers that Paul's talking about are coming from within the early Christian communities. Like I said before, all the seven, early, the seven heresies of the early church all came from within the church itself. They didn't come from outside. So the big heresy, and I would imagine you guys will learn this in church, in church history class, but like Arianism. Uh, you know, Arianism believed that Jesus Christ was uh, lower than God, but higher than man. Essentially, like like Superman, that Jesus Christ was like Superman. That he was like a, a and that and that and that that heresy lasted in the church for centuries, centuries. It was almost probably ninety percent of the church were Arian at one point, bishops and priests. 
So uh, these teachings, um, uh, you know, what else do you have? Uh, um, Nestorian, Nestorianism is another one from, the, from the, the Council of Ephesus in 431 that declares Mary as the, the Theotokos, the God-bearer. Um, but it also declares that Jesus, you know, talks about Jesus' two divine natures, or uh, two natures, excuse me, divine and human. Uh, talks about uh, that Christ is is both God and man, not just not just uh, a human be- a human being. So, again, all- Nestorius was a bishop. Arius was a bishop. All these guys were these early church bishops. So the stuff that Paul warns about continues to kind of show its ugly head throughout the early part of the church. And what we're seeing is some of these heresies are starting to they they reappear. They're starting to reappear now. In different in different forms of um, uh, different forms in today's culture too. So it's it's something that we gotta yeah. It's it's like you know it's the the garbage that we're dealing with in the church with the sexual abuse scandals and stuff. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's not our first time seeing this stuff. We've seen it before, and that's the unfortunate side of things as well. The stuff Paul's given us in these early letters, we're like, man, we're, we're, we've seen this. You know, they saw it 400, 500 years after Paul. We've seen it. Now we're seeing it again. So, Bernardo, did you have a question? Uh, my son took a, a world history course this past fall. I found it interesting that one of the questions was, who establishes Christianity, Paul or Jesus? And that, was, that, was, that was one of the questions. And, and I'm not... What's the right and, answer? And, and, and I'm not certain in a non-religious setting there is a there is a definitive answer. Usually, it's Constantine. That's kind of funny. Usually, some people you'll get certain Christians that say Constantine was the founder of Christianity. Constantine only legalized it with the Edict of Milan in the fourth century. Um, late 4th century, and he legalized Christianity. Now, what's interesting is you could do this, you could try this when you go home. At least a year ago, I saw it with a priest, you know, on, if, you, if you're on Facebook, you, you, you know there's videos on Facebook, and there was a priest, I think, I think it was one of the priests I follow on Twitter too, he asked Alexa, who was the founder of Christi- who was the founder of Catholicism, and the answer was Jesus Christ. Or Christianity, I forget what was the answer. Yeah, but but I one time asked Siri, and and it was the same thing. It was like the founder of the Catholic Church is Jesus Christ. You know, that's what she. Well, it's not my voice. It's the Australian woman that I have on my voice on my phone. But it's the Australian voice um, that is my Siri. But yeah, it's, it's it's so you get these these classes that you know in universities that. A lot of these people have probably never really studied the faith, and but in a world, I took a world religious class one time when I was at SCC years ago. It enlightened enlightened me to about this much, and then I was done. I was like, oh, I'm okay. So it was just not. It wasn't wasn't my cup of tea, but 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 the, in the class, and that was twenty something years ago. You get them, the teacher, focused on everything else but Christianity. And would and then would even attack Catholicism. Not to distract us, but if you want the priest asking Alexa, I've got 
Oh, that's the, okay. Yeah, I would just yeah, I would just Google yeah. I mean, so you you could find it, but yeah, it's an, an interesting. Yeah, so it says the Catholic Church. So he goes through the whole explanation of who founded all these different churches. And then eventually he gets to the point where it says who founded the Catholic Church and Alexis is Jesus Christ. So someone has to program that. I mean, someone has to program that into, in, in, into that. So, um, okay, so let's just end with prayer. And then, um, so we'll, the what I didn't get to today with 1 Thessalonians... Uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus and Philemon, I will send to you um, so you guys have those notes. All right? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. I give you praise and thanksgiving, Lord Jesus Christ, as we say, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Paul. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.